Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. On today's French Open Round 2 catch-up. Ash Barty retires with a hip injury. Federer fights past Chilich. And Mektic and Pavic are removed from the doubles draw due to positive Covid tests. Kim, round two is just about coming to a completion. Another couple of fantastic days tennis in Paris, where again, we have been treated some top-notch quality competition across the, the men and women's draws. And I feel like you're in a bit of a celebratory mood because as well as being the final day of, of round two competition, it's also Rafa's birthday. It is. It is indeed the great man's 35th birthday. Gosh, that that is crazy. Um, but yeah, I've got a nice glass of Spanish red wine. We're recording slightly earlier today so I can, uh, you know, watch watch him play later on. I've got my evenings viewing sorted. So hopefully he won't have too many problems against uh, Richard Gasquet tonight. I mean, let's be honest. If if there is one birthday present that Rafa Nadal wants to get in, in the form of a round two matchup at a Grand Slam, surely it's Richard Gasquet. I mean, that is the perfect birthday present. I think he's, his head-to-head record is like 16-0. and 0. Yeah, you would have thought that Gasquet might have worked out how to, like... <laughs> win against Rafa because I mean they have like been together on the tour for a long time like they grew up they're in the same era you know they did all the junior kind of events around that sort of time together you would kind of have thought that Gasquet might have got one victory but I'm really hoping he doesn't work out the magic solution tonight and he just you know leaves it a bit longer (laughs) um, as much as like we all love Richard Gasquet and we remember some of his you know epic times on the tour I'm hoping that tonight will be you know Rafa's night and uh, he can enjoy his birthday with a a nice victory but um, yeah we uh, do have lots of other matches that I guess have been slightly more competitive as well to talk about uh, from the last couple of days Uh, but we well I suppose we better really start uh, with the biggest news of of the second round which is probably the fact that the world number one and 2019 Roland Garros champion has actually had to withdraw from the tournament and uh, Ash Barty who has retired today in her second round match um, with a hip injury. I mean it was it was always I think on the cards you know we 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 you know every fan knows that she wasn't a hundred percent going into this match. I actually commend her I think it was like fair play for actually turning up and and giving it a go because I would have thought her team might have been like there's no point aggravating it let's just kind of concede and and don't go out so I feel like you know massive credit there to to Barty you know getting out on court and seeing if she could tough it out but it was quite clear I think in that first set that it just wasn't it just wasn't happening I mean yes Magdalene is a good competitor on her day but if Ash Barty is 
you know, fit and fighting, she's no way losing that set, that first set 6-1. And I really kind of felt that the, her movement particularly was quite hampered. And, you know, we know Ash Barty as, as one of the best, you know, movers and players to, you know, go, go around the, the court on her on her day. And one of her biggest strengths was just severely hampered. And there wasn't really any, any coming back, you know, from that deficit after the first set. And even though it was kind of two all, I think she already kind of knew the writing was on the wall. Yeah, you could see that she was like physically hampered by it. And it's just such a shame. And it, it just means that, you know, for the first time in probably a long time, we've had the top two seeds of a draw withdraw from the tournament, you know, mm. both for different reasons, but, you know, both health related. So it's um it's not great, but it does, I guess, leave that bit of the draw open for a whole host of other names. I mean, really, you've kind of now got to look at Shviontek as being like the top favourite, I guess, to come through the top half of the draw. And she's just absolutely routed Rebecca Peterson, I think, for the loss of like one game. So is <laughs> she on, is she doing what she did, you know, like last year when, when Roland Garros was on, when she barely, you know, was losing games? We shall see. But she certainly does look like she's in in, you know, full force and, and ready to kind of pick up on these um these withdrawals, I suppose. <laughs> I, I know it's been a it's been very it's been very funny because we have had a lot of withdrawals for for different reasons retirements as well and it it sort of reminded me of that that year at Wimbledon it was a it was a funny day at Wimbledon a few years ago when lots and lots of people retired uh, on the same day and you know we are we are seeing I think an increase in in high particularly in, with high profile kind of withdrawals from the French Open but I think you know with this one. I think what's really just kind of annoying about it is the the timing because it sounded like Ash Barty. I mean, she had the perfect kind of clay run up to to Roland Garros, really, and this injury sort of came about. Uh, I think on the you know the weekend before, and although I think they put a plan in place to sort of try and and manage it, it just you know as as the day you know as day by day kind of came on, it was just clear that it just wasn't going to be able to to um you know to be rectified and i think yeah it's just a bit frustrating that the timing of it all and i think that's what's so kind of frustrating about it and you know hearing barty in a kind of press conference talk about you know there's been a, a few tears kind of shed this week you can tell it obviously means a, a lot to her and you know she will be disappointed she wouldn't be able to you know what she will feel like is defend her title from uh, 2019 so we will have to see how the injury kind of progresses you know, obviously, there's going to be a very quick turnaround to Wimbledon, so it'll be interesting to see how, um, you know, how you know how she can prepare herself for that. If she can prepare herself for that, I think the only saving grace, really, at the moment, is that it's an injury that has kind of flared up. So it feels like there is already a sort of pre-existing way to manage it, and I, I hope she is able to manage it, and we can see her in the in the UK on on the grass because it doesn't look like we're going to have Naomi Osaka um, potentially for. You know, a stretch of time. I don't want the same for for Ash Barty as well, because you know those are two big, big names in the in women's tennis or in, just generally in in tennis. So it'll be a bit of a bit of a shame if if both of them um, are not kind of competing um, on the circuit. Yeah, just a note on Osaka. She has pulled out. Of, I think the Berlin Grass Court event, but she still is listed for Wimbledon. But it does look unlikely she's now back home in America. Um, and also, Joel, I was going to bring this up later, but um, we'll just 
mention it quickly now because obviously since Osaka's withdrawal there have been quite a lot of famous people you know on social media have kind of come out in support of of um her decision and the Calm app as well have actually said that they are uh, donating I think $15,000 to um, a mental health kind of sports organization Laureus Sport um as sort of because of everything that Osaka's you know done and gone through um and they've actually said that they will take they will pay the fines of any other players uh, tennis players in 2021 who also opt out of doing grand slam media appearances for mental health reasons so that's quite interesting that they've taken that step you know karma and probably the most famous like meditation app uh, in the world now and the most used so it's quite a big big announcement that i'm sure yeah. the grand slam organizers will be uh, aware of as well um so we'll have to see how all of that develops and then if there's any more updates on that it'll be interesting to see if you're right if if any other players follow the lead of Naomi Osaka and and pull out and whether you know something like this in place you know gives these players the sort of the financial blanket or the financial protection they need to 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 make this decision with the fact that they won't potentially get fined anymore uh you know at at the grand slam so be interesting to see if that has a reaction uh within the the tour level players and who if if any of them uh, will come out and and say something along those lines no definitely especially the players who might think twice about the fact that they can whether they can lose fifteen thousand dollars or not you know they a lot of money yeah exactly if someone else is gonna you know cover that cost then i you know might go ahead and and do it but we'll have to see how many players would actually do that um but yeah we'll have to see and then just going back i suppose to the the tournament the competition the top half of the women's draw you know we were saying obviously barty's out shvontek's looking good but there are still you know a a couple of of names in there that i you know would certainly have form obviously sophia kenin former slam champion made the final hit last year we kind of had written her off i suppose prior (laughs) to the start of the tournament because she actually hasn't uh won many matches at all this year and I think her two victories in this tournament so far is just the third time that she's actually won consecutive matches this year uh the first time since February so like is is this a possibility she might go on a bit of a run or are we getting way too ahead of ourselves I mean she came through Hayley Baptiste today in straight sets so didn't have the hardest opponent no exactly I mean Hayley Baptiste did very very well as a qualifier to get to to round two Mm. um but yeah, you're, you, I think you're spot on. I think there are going to be tougher tests to come. She did come through Ostapenko in, in round one in a, in a really enthralling encounter, but she's got Jessica Begula next. And I think that is where we're going to really understand where kind of Kenin's level is at this tournament. Mm. You know, I think what she has shown this, this, uh, you know, so far though, is that she is potentially one of these players who could just kind of turn up and, play some tennis and put a run together coming into it very cold I'd put someone like Azarenka in that kind of category as well but she's going to be facing someone like Pegulia who has just built up momentum across the whole season you know she started on on the hard courts took it to the Middle East where I feel like she played lots and lots of tennis and now she's taking it to the the clay courts I think that has potentially surprised some, some people um, in terms of how well she's been able to kind of transition from hard to clay and carry on that momentum, but it's it'll be it'll be a very interesting I think matchup given that you know there is one player there who has been building up sort of consistency and momentum all the way through from January, and then you've got 
you know, on the opposite side of the net, Kenin, who didn't have a good didn't have a good start to the year, got appendicitis, had to have like an emergency surgery, um, not well, not working with her um, her father as a coach anymore, and uh, yeah, it's, they're just kind of complete opposite ends of the spectrum. But at the same time, they're going to meet in the third round. Yeah, exactly. And we've got another Amer- all-American matchup in the third round as well, which is Jen Brady against Coco Goff. So that is also another like very uh, exciting encounter. Brady came through 7-5 in the third set against Fiona Ferro, um, who got to, the, I think, the fourth round here last year and, you know, is quite an exciting young French prospect. And like she did well to, to come through that one, especially, you know, with, with a bit of a home crowd there and, Coco Goff as well also came through, I think, against Chong Wong straight set. So American women are going really strong, actually. And um, Sloane Stevens as well is also through to the third round. Uh, she took out Pliskova, 7-5-6-1. That's her first win, I think, against a top 10 player in over two years. So I know Pliskova hasn't been at the races lately, it's fair to say. But that's still, I think, an important win for Stevens, especially, you know, she came through against Suarez Navarro in the first round as well. Um, which is probably, you know, quite an emotional uh, match as well. So, yeah, she's got Mukova next. I'm not sure I would expect Mukova as the favourite for that, of course, but I wouldn't be surprised if Stevens put together a bit of a run. Could could that be also going too far? <laughs> Do you know what? I don't I don't actually think so, because she, again, has, I think, I, you know, I think we'll all agree that, you know, her, start, again, start of the season wasn't that great. But she has slowly but surely, again, been one of these players who has gained momentum. You know, we spoke about, you know, in our uh, round one catch up about how, you know, she has had also a lot of things to kind of deal with because of the the, the pandemic. And it really feels that with the clay season, she's had she's had that kind of time to assess all those things and put that stuff kind of behind her and just kind of move on and get really kind of focused back with her her tennis and she she is playing really well at the moment I mean Mukova again another player who is also playing very well so again it will be a tough one but you know Stone Stevens is a grand is a grand slam champion she knows what it takes um it's great to see her back and really kind of firing and resembling some of that form that took her to be the the US Open uh, you know champion a few years ago just just going back to to um Jennifer Brady and and Coco Goff i mean that again is another fascinating matchup because it's in that section of the draw where Ash Barty you know has now vacated and you know we were you know, before in our preview, we were talking maybe there was a Barty Coco Goff round four on the cards. Obviously, that's not going to be the case. But again, both of those players will feel that the draw has has been kind to them and opened up for them, and it's really kind of as an opportunity there to you know take the take that top take that top quarter by the by the horns. And I think a lot of people will be looking at Coco Goff thinking. You know, if there is like a player who is ready to kind of announce herself, uh, like in a in a big way, and a player who has had hype, you know, behind her, I feel like, and a lot of people will want to see Coco Goff do well, um, much like I guess Jennifer Brady did, you know, in the the back end of last season at the U.S. Open. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it would be fantastic to see Coco <laughs> finally go like really deep at a slam. Um, that would be great. And also, I thought it was quite nice. She was playing doubles with Venus Williams uh, this tournament, which is... I don't know what happened to Katie McNally, uh, because obviously that's who Goff normally plays doubles with. Um, but yeah, she lost with Venus, unfortunately. But I thought that was quite nice. 
the crowd like queuing in for that match mm. uh, all the photos of it were all over social media and it was just like it was just box office it just made me think i really like i re- obviously goff and mcnally that is they are very very handy doubles team but goff and venus williams i would i would love to see that a little bit more i'd hope that's not just a one-off it's sort of like mother and daughter, isn't it? It's quite <laughs> sweet. I, I mean, I would like to see them pair up for Wimbledon as well. I think that would be awesome. Um, just a note also on Stone Stevens. Uh, Rafa fans who are listening will know Francisco Roy, who works quite a bit with Rafa, you know, on and off, um, has done for years. Uh, he's actually working a bit with Sloane Stevens. I think she's sort of been training out in Barcelona and uh, working with him. So perhaps that is something to do with uh, the fact that she's, you know putting a few Mm. wins together who knows but um yeah it's it's great to see and um yeah it's it's just quite an interesting partnership I suppose um I mean having just hyped Sloane Stevens up she'll probably go and do a Belinda Bencic and get hammered uh in her next round uh who yeah I think Bencic we were saying in our last podcast oh you know she had a really Went from zero to zero <laughs> within a round, beating yeah. Podorovska and then going out very, very meekly in, in round two. Mm, to Kasatkina. Um, but yeah, today, I don't think on the men's side, we've had sort of the most uh, thrilling of, of matches, perhaps. I mean, we've had the big three in action, which is always exciting for the fact that they're household names and TV schedules are, you know, the producers must be having an absolute field day and then thinking, you know, for tomorrow, oh, what are we going to put on we've got Medvedev but no one knows who he is if he's not a household name <laughs> the contrast is so massive isn't it I was mm. I was looking at the the differences between uh you know the, the top half and the bottom half in the the men's draw and it is really kind of stark isn't it in terms of the days and yes you've got Sissipas and, and Medvedev but it's it's not much else apart from that is there really and yeah today we had all of the big three in action um, you know, we've got Rafa kind of coming up in the, the night session. We've had Novak and Federer come through. Novak in easier fashion, in, in straight sets. Federer in four cents, four cents, four sets against, Mar- against Marin Cilic. Uh, let's, let's talk about that match because that was, uh, that was an interesting one because, um, Federer, I mean, he blasted 47 winners, 16 aces. He looked very good. There was a slight wobble. Um, I think that third set was the big, it was either going to go one way or the other, particularly that tie break. But perhaps the biggest talking point, Kim, was the time violation that Roger Federer got that he was not happy about. And in sort of stylish Roger Federer way, went up to the net to talk to the umpire for about five minutes in uh, in French before Marin Cilic got involved. Yeah, I um, I didn't see the exact uh, moment when this happened. I just saw sort of brief highlights of this particular moment uh, of the match. But it seemed that he was quite annoyed for quite a while after. Um, but the original cause of the time violation, was it because he went to pick up his towel or am I missing the point here? <laughs> so he's he was picking up his towel and it was on Marin Cilic's serve and... Chilich was ready to serve and Federer was still sort of walking back from his towel and he got a violation, which he wasn't he wasn't happy about, I think, because, well, as the kind of commentator was kind of pointing out, there was still 13 seconds left on the on the on the serve clock. So in that sense, he still had a lot of time available. But I think the umpire was kind of seeing it like, you know, he should be play he Federer should be playing to the server and Chilich was ready to serve and um Federer wasn't ready and um you know he was making the point that 
you know, he was he was going to get his towel, coming back from his towel. And I think the umpire was like, yeah, you need to make, you need to, I don't care who you are. You might be the greatest of all time, but you need to hurry that up. And I think Chilich, Chilich came to the neck and effectively said the same thing. It was all very polite. It was all sort of very mild mannered. I say it wasn't like a Fabio Fornini sort of heated exchange. Um, it was, it was the sort of exchange that I felt was like befitting of, you know, two Grand Slam champions just having a, a, a polite, a polite inquiry with each other is 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 probably the best way to describe it. Roger being a, a true gent, even in his <laughs> uh, you know antagonistic moments on court. Uh, yeah, it, well, even goats can be a bit naughty sometimes. But um, yeah, I I have to say on the on the subject of towels, I'm loving the baskets they have for the towels. Um, I think I can't believe that we never had those before. It just seems like such a a good invention. I was thinking, Kim. I, I was looking at, at how long it takes Federer to get to the towel. There is a there is a wide runoff uh, on the on on Chatrier that I don't, it doesn't surprise me. That it takes a while because it looks it looks quite far to go there and back to get to get your towel without a you know without a a, a ball boy or ball girl, ball girl kind of doing it for you. Could they sort of invent towel like shirts or something? I know obviously they wear like dry fit sports shirts, but if you had like a towel inbuilt into your um, <laughs> shirt, I mean, I know that's, I guess what um, wristbands and stuff do. They're like towel material, but a, a sort of, I don't know if that's a weird innovation <laughs> that could be happening, but who knows? Who, who knows? knows indeed. Also on the subject of court architecture and surroundings, why are the geraniums not red, Joel? I'm very perplexed. They're, they're cream this year and they're always red. And I, I miss the bright red of the geraniums but maybe that's just me listeners do you care what color the flowers are on the court kim honestly you you we spoke about this before the podcast i didn't even know what a geranium was if i was being quite honest so that shows my my level of, of flower knowledge i was way way more immersed in the the tennis going on and uh yeah i mean for the big three it's it's been plain sailing so far more or less Nadal Gasquet this evening. We talked about it on in, in our intro. Again, that feels very much like a well, a three set sort of routine job for for Nadal. Really, you, you can't. It would be even a bit of a surprise, really, to see Gasquet take a set there. Do you agree? On paper, yes, but anything is possible. Uh, <laughs> we saw that at the U.S. Open with Novak's default. Uh, we've seen it with Kvitova's withdrawal. You know, injuring herself in a freak way. So. I, it's not over till the fat lady song. Um, let's let's see how it pans out tonight. Uh, but Joel, one person that's not the big three, but may very well be playing Rafa in the next round. Uh, should Rafa get there, is Cam Norrie, who has reached the third round of a slam for the third consecutive time, which I think is very impressive, showing his consistency, his maturity, his composure. I thought today he was very calm. He went and sat down to Lloyd Harris, but he never really looked sort of worried and I, I he had the sort of inner confidence that you know he would come through it which he did uh, very comfortably in those last three sets and yeah he just kind of played more aggressive more energy as the match went on Harris you know kind of faded away in the end and it, it was very very comfortable yeah it was a very very good performance from Cam Norrie I think Lloyd Harris was going to be a potentially dangerous opponent uh you know he took out Sonigo in straight sets in his first round who I actually thought was going to get to second round so um yeah Harris was uh you know a various I think a, a, a dangerous player for, for Norrie because he has got a big serve and when it is 
working for him um he can be yeah he can be very very uh dangerous on the court and i think that was the case in in the third in the sorry in the first set um with kind of harris's game working to an absolute uh well to an absolute t really but from there nori was able to kind of eat at him and yeah as you said he was just very calm and just kind of went about his business and understood right i know what i need to do now uh you know from that second set onwards and was able to kind of break break the harris game and it's kind of the i felt like the on force error count was racking up on on harris really nori was able to gain a, a foothold and he didn't didn't really kind of look like uh, surrendering it really and um again it's just been a very 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 impressive run to the you know to the third round another grand slam meeting probably with rafa nadal so it will be again it'll be another interesting encounter in the sense of how he has potentially learned um you know from his two previous encounters this season that one in Grand Slams at the Australian Open, and then I think in the Barcelona Open uh, in in the build up to Roland Garros. Yeah, it will be interesting to see if he's can put into practice, you know, the things that he would have come away from those two former mm. matches thinking, oh, I should have done that differently. Um, yeah, he's done as well as he kind of can. He's reached his uh, kind of ex- expected, you know, um, length into the tournament and you know you can't really do much more than lose to a, a big three opponent like that is kind of very um understandable if if obviously we're getting way ahead of myself if he does end up losing to Rafa but um obviously next goal for Nori will be to try and get up into like the seedings uh of a slam to get into the top mm. 30 um as Dan Evans has done so it may very well be soon that you know Nori takes over the mantle of British number one we we shall have to see but yeah, really good stuff from Norrie. And um, I have to say, Joel, I, I did get that little prediction right that he would be the last remaining Brit whilst you were off on your oh, punter yeah. <laughs> sort of that is very, very fantasy. True. <laughs> I mean, that definitely has it has gone to the form book, really. And I feel like if I'm in Cam Norrie's shoes, I just don't want the clay season to end. Yeah, well, exactly. We'll see if he can replicate these results on grass. Um, talking of other players, though, that haven't had the best of days, French players, fair to say, probably haven't had the greatest of days. Gail Monfils lost uh, to Mikel Emer of Sweden. Uh, that was four sets. Monfils lost that first set to Love. I thought at one point it was going to be a bit of a, you know, whitewash, but uh, he managed to get a set. But uh, yeah, not not great. But obviously he has been on a long hiatus sort of for a while and you know he's only had two wins this season so probably wasn't going to be expecting too much from from Monfils so email will be up against Sinner in the next round um who came through I think against uh Gianluca I don't know Maya. how to say Maya. Maya I don't know how to say his surname <laughs> um uh, yeah in, in four sets but um also Mlazenovic lost very easily to Contivate so she kind of got thrashed uh for the loss of two games Fiona Ferro as I said before was out so the French have actually had a pretty rubbish tournament uh Garcia also lost so they're not really home hopes not going so far no and you've got to say I think in the particularly with the the men uh, you know a lot of a lot of the players a lot of the players we grew up with like Monfils, Songa, Gasquet, you know, they are certainly on their kind of way out, uh, you know, for want of a better phrase. And it doesn't feel like at the moment that there is necessarily someone really obvious that is going to capture French imaginations and be able to kind of come into and potentially, you know, take that that mantle of, of you know, 
getting to the second week of a, a Grand Slam or beyond. So there's definitely, I think, some you know, there's definitely some work to be done there. I think in terms of the, the French kind of tennis federation and and who who is that player who where is that going to come from yes there are prospects on their radar you know like hugo gaston for example but yeah it's not been a great tournament for the the home hopes i suppose hugo Humbert is the only young mm. french player that i can think of but he also lost in the first round um but other young guns uh carlos alcaraz and um lorenzo Massetti are are through um i think alcaraz was still playing but he was two sets up when I last looked. And I think, yep, he's disappeared from the live score. So he must have won. <laughs> so they're still all going strong. Um, just one player, actually, who did lose today, Karatsev. He lost in four sets to Kohlschreiber. So a bit, bit of a shame for Karatsev because I really did think he could, you know, not go to like the semifinals again, but at least like fourth round or something. I think he'll be quite disappointed, especially to lose to someone like Kohlschreiber, who really is, you know... I think he's what thirty-seven now. He's he he's he's also on his way out, you know, for want of a better phrase. So I, I felt, you know, great though for him. I mean, really, really, really impressive. Uh, you know, he had that first round match against was it Vadasco, um, mm. and he came came through it. So the battle, you know, we t- we spoke about it. The battle to stay relevant. Well, Cole Schreiber, he is staying relevant, and uh, yeah, he's beaten Karatsev. So pretty impressive on that front. Indeed. Um, Right, we're going to take a quick break now, but do join us in the second half of the podcast where we'll be looking back on all the results from day four at the French Open. So don't go anywhere. This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to looking at day four um, of Roland Garros. And, and Joel, I was a bit confused. Day four, I was thinking, isn't today day four? But then obviously Roland Garros starts on the Sunday. So it is uh, day five was today. Day four is yesterday. I'm getting my numbers all mixed up. Um, again, I don't think yesterday was the most dramatic of, of days. But I think, you know, it allowed us to kind of catch our breath after all of the like Osaka drama and, and what have you, you know, for the start of the week. Um, I suppose, you know, we were talking earlier about American women, how they were doing really well in the tournament and there was, you know, a lot of them still in it. American men as well have also had a very good run of events. And I think yesterday we saw a lot of them go through into the third round. Um, who amongst those men are you perhaps most excited by or expecting to go you know, <laughs> furthest into the tournament, Joel? Well, just before we get onto that, it's it's really strange because in the draw, it seems like all the Americans, uh, apart from a couple, uh, have been put into that quarter at the very bottom uh, in in Daniel Medvedev's quarter. So they have a, they will all feel like they have a real opportunity to to go far there. And yeah, we're left with John Isner, Riley Opelka. Marcos Giron and Steve Johnson all through to round three. Really, really impressive. Um, it could have been even more impressive if, um, you know, uh, Christian Garin uh, gave heartache to Mackenzie McDonald. who had two match points in a third set tiebreak, um, wasn't able to do it. And, and Garin won in five, eight, six um, in the fifth. Uh, Tommy Paul also took us the first set off Daniel Medvedev, but lost in, in four. So as I said, we are left with Isna, Apelka, Giron and Johnson. But that is really, really impressive stuff, given the fact that American men's tennis is not in the best of shape. I don't think there is a there's no American man in the top 30, which apparently is the 
the first time that's happened since the ATP rankings began in 1973. So that just shows you where they are in terms of their positions um, in in the rankings. And, um, you know, for me, I've got to say, I've been impressed. I hate to say it, Kim, I've been impressed by John Isner. Um, you know, he, we haven't really heard much of him, but he's come back with a bang, I feel. And um, he is he is such a tough nut to crack, I feel, particularly at Grand Slams. And he's up, he, I think he's up next against Sissipas. And I think that's going to be a real hard test for for Sissipas because Isner and his serve on on any surface it's just very very hard and you know for Sissipas he's going to need to be able to play and win the the big points well because you you suspect there are going to be a few tie breaks there. Yeah, does anyone enjoy playing against John Isner? I mean, I suppose probably it's not. <laughs> great practice for like returning serves, uh, but also is Roland Garros the only remaining slam that doesn't have a form of tie break in the last set? Mm. Is it still kind of yeah. play play until someone wins? <laughs> so, ooh, could we see perhaps uh, another a sixty fifty eight John well, Isner? <laughs> <laughs> could it happen? I mean, Isner's been involved in the two longest, so you know, there's a pattern there. Um, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? How they've all fallen in this like one bit of the draw. It's it's quite strange. Um, yeah. I mean, if Bevedev's going to win this title, he's going to have to go through probably quite a few Americans because they're all in his section. Um, however, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Isner does against its pass. Uh, Riley Apelka obviously was in quite good form because he reached the semis in um, Rome, I think it was. Uh, yeah, last event before Roland Garros. Uh, Marcos Giron, I don't know too much about. Um, to be honest, I didn't actually know he was American. <laughs> um, I've just his name is someone I've seen in draws, but I don't think I've actually ever seen him play. But he did quite well to beat Guido Payer because you know Payer being Argentinian, very comfortable on the clay, so that was quite a good performance. But yeah, really good uh, for the American men, uh, as opposed, I suppose, in complete contrast to the French men who are not having the best of tournaments, as we just mentioned. Um, Another player, Joel, that I think, you know, will be, I think a lot of fans like this player, like he's very popular, Kane Ishikori, you know, he's been around for a while, but he's very likable. And he had a battle with Karen Hatchinov. Uh, but the Nishikori that is dominant in five set matches and always comes through in the end, managed to do so 6-4 in the fifth. He's got such a good record in deciding sets in slams when it goes to five. And he proved that the other day he's 26 and 7 uh in his five set record and it's just it's just so good because i feel like he's a player we associate with injuries but um he is really really durable as you know matches kind of go on and i thought this match as i said i thought fitness was going to be one of his concerns going into the french open and i actually thought the longer this match was going to go on uh, the less likely he was going to have a chance of, of winning it. But it was actually quite the opposite. And he came through 4-6-6-2-2-6-6-4-6-4 against Kachanov. So really, really impressive. He had a four-hour match in round one um, against uh, Giannessi. And yeah, he's just kind of continuing it on. I don't know where he's finding this energy. I think he actually said in his press conference, I don't like to play five sets. I'd rather not to. But hey, if, if I've got the five-set record of Nishikuri, I'd just be like, can we, can we just, can we just go to a fifth set now? <laughs> just pretend it's a fifth set and yeah. then just play one set. Yeah, well, that's probably well, the approach he needs. It's like play every set like a fifth set. 
Well, exactly. And you sort of think, why can't players just, you know, up their game from the word go and not, you know, rely on crunch time? But um, yes, exactly. So we'll have to see how how far he goes. He's actually got on Henri Laxanen. I'm thinking of Henri Gontanen, but it's not as it's Laxanen. But I, so I think he's an Henri. But um, so who I don't really know too much about Laxanen. I mean, he came through Bautista Agut, which surprised a lot of people um, in round two. But Nishikuri will definitely feel like that is is winnable. But Laxanen will definitely also feel like it's an opportunity for him to get a, a big scalp to his name. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just a note on uh, the other top seeds, I guess, in this half of the draw, the the non-big three half. That's how I'm trying to remember who's on what side. Uh, Daniel Medvedev, yeah, he came through against Tommy Paul, lost that first set, but then after that, it seemed pretty comfortable. Uh, Sitsipas also comfortable win against Pedro Martinez of Spain. Um, and I suppose, yeah, and also Casper Rude, we should mention, who is the 15th seed, came through comfortably as well. Um, also Zverev um, so they're all kind of proceeding as planned um, I've got Medvedev I think to lose in the next round and collect a set so I'm you know waiting for that to happen <laughs> so far he's proving me wrong <laughs> we're just waiting for Medvedev to combust I feel on self-combust on the on the courts of Roland Garros and it's not quite happened yet and I think it's it's I think it's a little bit to everyone's surprise I feel like everyone in on tennis twitter or in the tennis community a lot a lot of people would have thought by now that daniel medvedev would have would have gone out given his his record and the fact that he came into the french open having not even won um in paris so uh so yeah so it's just you know i think he's just sort of taking it a match at a time i think he is the encapsulation of i have zero despite being the second seed i have zero expectation of of what I could do in Paris and I and and who knows maybe maybe that is helping helping him I mean he interestingly was quoted as saying that talking about the kind of the the speed of the court he he said that um he felt like the tennis balls go faster in the air and that's why he can make make them and also drop faster before the baseline so it's interesting he kind of picked up on that and that helping him in his game so maybe the conditions are also a bit of a factor in in you know in Medvedev and and how he's playing and and how he's winning you know whether it'll be a factor kind of going forward as well um it certainly sounds like the conditions are helping him versus some of the the other tournaments and the clay conditions that they have providing him in the build-up yeah it's funny isn't it because there are all those sort of differences you don't immediately think of as for why a player might do better at particular events and not others and and different balls and just yeah the weather like all of these can play a factor so there's so many factors to think about um but i suppose you know at the end of the day you've to be great you have to do it on all in all places with all different kinds of conditions so but certainly if if you if you're helped by like balls being lighter then <laughs> like make make the most of it while you can um what did you make of serena williams yesterday joel because oh. she had a bit of a a bit bit of a battle with Buzanescu of romania her second romanian uh, in a row she just playing Romanians this tournament um <laughs> but yeah she dropped a set uh five seven the second set she dropped she came through comfortably in the third six one but um she was pushed further than in her first match against Begu. I think though she was quite she felt like she played and served better in this match than her first round 
I, I mean, watching it on TV, that definitely felt the case. Um, I thought this match was played in such a great spirit. Um, you know, they're both very, 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 very good players. Um, and, you know, Bujanescu is a former top 20 player. And um, it was just played in such a way that it was, you know, particularly in that third set. And although it was sort of, I think, petering towards a, you know, Serena Williams victory, um, there were kind of great moments and, and each player had their own, uh, you know, I guess moment in the, spot, in the spotlight on the in in on the court, and um, yeah, it was impressive. I think from Serena Williams, given that uh, you know, I think with each match and each victory, she is getting a bit more belief, and with everyone sort of dropping like flies around her, I'm I'm quietly sort of wondering where where Serena Williams is is going from here. And, you know, we, I know that, you know, she, when she comes into Grand Slam, she can come into these tournaments quite cold and build up momentum. And I have no reason to doubt that she could do that in, in this tournament. And I think with the, the Buzanescu result, there was a clearly a, an improvement on her game from, from round one. And, um, and yeah, and I, I think there is still work to be done. I still feel like kind of watching it on TV, I still feel like she, wants to play that forehand down the line and leaves herself vulnerable and it's it's almost too far in and and I think on a, on a couple of times Bizanescu was just able to just hit it back on the other side of the court for for a winner but um yeah I just think she's improving with with each of the matches she has played so far and and with Danielle Collins next I feel like she will need to improve again but that is going to be another I think tough tough match that I think probably will go three sets yeah, I Collins will be quite tricky. She's been, I think, in quite good form so far this tournament and is always very feisty and not someone you particularly want to come up against. And she won't be scared of Serena at all. So no, um not. And she will shout come on at the at the, <laughs> the yes. loudest at the top of her voice. And I would be interesting to see how Serena Williams reacts to that. I think there'll be a lot of shouting and screaming on both sides. So I yeah, I wonder if that'll be in <laughs> another uh is that, is that in the night session? I haven't. We'll have a look for no, tomorrow's I think it's schedule. In the, it's not. In the it's in the day. Oh, no, okay. No. Well, definitely have that one on. Um, but yeah, we um, also uh, had the Belarusians going through Azarenka and Sabalenka. Although Sabalenka had to put out another Belarusian, Sasnovich, in in her match. Um, but they're both through. Uh, Azarenka came through against Clara Torsen, the young Dane. So it was a bit of a battle of you know, youth versus experience. Um, but she looked very pleased to come through because I think it's been a, a long time since Azarenka's been even in like the third round of of the French Open. Yeah, exactly. Again, one of these players who's just able, we know we know her class on a tennis court and as a result of that, she's just able to turn up and just play really, and play really, well, really, really well. She, you know, she wouldn't have... Azarenka didn't have the, you know, the warm, the, I imagine the warm up and the lead in to Roland Garros that she perhaps would have wanted. But the fact that she's here and in the third round, she would definitely, definitely, definitely take that. And, you know, just talking about Sabalenka, I mean, again, I caught the, the end of her match yesterday. Again, she just looks in seriously, seriously impressive form uh, against Sasnovich. She just sort of swatted her away. And she just has that look in her eye, Kim, that she is a she is a lady on a mission. I think she's well aware that this is this is her moment. This is her moment to potentially get to a Grand Slam final. And she is she's playing the tennis that, uh, you know, is striking fear, I feel, into her opponents. And she struck <laughs> she struck fear into 
her opponent Pavlichenkova in, in the third round. She struck fear into her. I feel like in uh, in Madrid, uh, where it was an absolute drubbing, if I fucking remember rightly. Um, and I just can't see that. I just can't see that changing. I just think Sabalenka will have too much firepower. And who knows? That might be the the story of of the bottom half. You know, Sabalenka might just have too much firepower for all her opponents, and that will make potentially a Sabalenka Shviontek matchup in a final so compelling. But we'll have to wait and see if that materializes. Yeah, or it could be Sabalenka Serena again because they played at the AO, didn't they? And Serena came out on top. So I think if that comes to it, Sabalenka will in the be very. Yeah. yeah, I think we will be like later on, but it you know that would be Sabalenka's moment to um, you know get that revenge for the AO win and, and really like arrive, I guess, at, at a Grand Slam stage. Um, but I certainly think from that. Sabalenka probably is still looking the most likely to come out of the bottom half. But, you know, dare I say it. Um, I was quite annoyed, though, Joel, that Veronica Kudermatova uh, lost to Katerina Zinyakova because she was my pick for the semifinals. And now I just feel a bit silly for going on a bit of a, you know, punt and picking her because, I mean, it was a very close match, I have to say. It was extremely close, three-setter, and uh, Zinyakova just came out on top. So, bit disappointing there. I mean, particularly, I think Kudamatova was, you know, leading. I think she was leading five two in the first set. Lost the first set, and uh, I think she was in a five one lead in the decider. So, you know, that is going to be a big, big heartbreak for Kudamatova. But Sinyakova is such a fighter, and again, has had a pretty pretty decent clay season in the build-up uh, to Roland Garros so she's definitely going to be another tough one to kind of put away but um, you know I think that the, the this kind of leads us on to this sort of overarching question really at, at this part of the draw and you know I think it's you know it's the question we're now asking well we were asking now because of the Barty withdrawal in the top path but you know we were asking this I think you know ever since the Osaka withdrawal is who is going to make the most of that withdrawal in the bottom half because there are a lot of players there who will be looking at potentially getting to a French Open semi-final for the first time. I mean, these are some of the names you you've got in that, you know, in that bottom in that bottom quarter around uh, Osaka. You've got Kasakina, Kostea, Zidansek, Sinyakova, Herchog, Von Drusova, uh, who's obviously had previous at the French Open, Bedosa and and Bogdan. I mean, Kim, where do you where do you stand on on these players, and who who do you feel is going to potentially uh, take the take the the mantle that or, or take the void that Osaka, I guess, has, has left um, in that bottom half as the number two seed? I think form wise, Paola Bedosa would be. Uh, my favourite to come through that one. Uh, she won her first title in Belgrade. Um, so she's in, I think she's on a seven match win streak at the moment, if I'm, if I'm right. She's, she's had a really good clay court season. She beat Barty, um, earlier on as well in the season. So, I mean, she's been at the fourth round, I think, uh, last, last year, Roland Garros and, you know, loves the clay, very up and coming. And but but in form, and I I just feel like yeah, surely she's got Bogdan next. Even against Vondrusova, former finalist, I'd expect her to come through. So surely she's got to be making like the quarterfinal. I'm not gonna lie, I'm with you. I feel like it will be a disappointment for Bedosa. I mean, she's probably the most in form 
women's player you know in the in the draw left really i think um and yeah i think at least i think quarterfinals minimum if i was in the bedosa camp otherwise i would sort of maybe label it a disappointment mm. yeah you've got to take um, whilst you shouldn't look too far ahead and you've got to just focus on the the player on the other side of the net it's hard not to i suppose sort of perhaps get too you know she doesn't want to get too overexcited or think oh you know the pressure I've, i'm expected to suddenly be the one to to come through hopefully she's just calm and composed and just thinking one match at a time um I, there's a an article that um i think i was reading that t- talks about how much she was eating pano chocolat when she first um <laughs> you know went to paris for the first time and i've just literally I'm just craving pan chocolate now. I've, I've just read that and I'm like, oh, I could Sounds really like do. a great, great diet. I mean, if that helps yeah. you amass a 15 2 record on the clay, then uh, you know, sign, me, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely want to eat them every day. Uh, but yeah, let's let's talk about the doubles for a bit, Joel, because big news is that top seeds Matej Pavic and Nikola Mektic are out because they unfortunately have tested positive for COVID, so they've had to withdraw, um, which is a bit crazy because you would probably have expected them to kind of walk away with the title. I mean, they've just been in like rampant form this season. So they must be so annoyed, I have to say, that they're so frustrated. They must be annoyed big time. Uh, I, on the On the flip side of it, Everyone else in the draw is probably jumping for joy because there's now an actual opportunity for, uh, you know, for a men's doubles champion that might not have seemed realistic, uh, you know, a week ago. Um, it sort of caught me by surprise that, you know, there are players still testing positive for COVID. You know, I thought this was, you know, maybe perhaps a bit naively felt that this was a thing that was happening in the grandstands in the most immediate vicinity of of the pandemic. But it's a reminder that, coronavirus is still out there it is still having an impact in the tennis world on the draws it might not have um you know reached the the you know the singles arena or 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 potent or, or yet even um but yeah it's, it's happened in the doubles and it's it's unfortunate because as you said Pavic and, and Mektic really this season they would have felt that this was this was theirs to own Exactly. Um, but yes, their opponents must be quite happy. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, silver lining for some people. Um, but yeah, well, hopefully they're, they're okay and they're not, you know, experiencing symptoms and they, um, you know, can, can test negative very quickly, uh, when they next get done. But, um, I, I mean, just on a British note, Jamie Murray is still going with Suarez at Joe Salisbury is also, um, still going with with Rajiv Ram. Uh, just a note as well. Uh, Kravitz is there, Joel, your your favourite, who is the two time defending champion, but he's not <laughs> playing with Mies. Oh, he's uh he's playing with uh la la Takao Oria Takao, who's a decent handy doubles player. But um, so may- maybe he can do it without Mies this year. We'll see. Interesting. And just on actually on on kind of coronavirus, I was also reading the other day about uh, Jamie Murray was talking about Wimbledon and, you know, the fact that he is vaccinated and he feels like he should be reaping the benefits of that. But at Wimbledon, uh, he's going to have to be in a uh, one of the the hotels, I think, uh, in central London that has been approved by the All England Club, which to him is an inconvenience given that he has a a property i think you know two minutes from the you know from the actual site um so he's he's asking the question when uh you know when a tennis player is going to get the you know benefits or 
um when a tennis player is going to get uh priority or, or benefits from from have being fully vaccinated um so that was quite i thought quite an interesting take uh, particularly with with Wimbledon coming up um it feels like you know tournament organizers are still generally kind of being very much on the safety first kind of side even if you know vaccinations are now happening and the rollouts are happening etc but it's just another um you know it's just another evolution of i think how the the tennis world is sort of reacting to the the pandemic i guess they probably just want it to be a level playing field and and not to mm. make exceptions you know yes people might live next door but i know <laughs> it's just if you start to make an exception for jamie murray then I'm sure, you know, a top player will suddenly be like, but I normally rent a house that's just next door. That's no different, you know. And then you get everyone suddenly wanting to have private residences. But yeah, it will be quite different for a lot of the players because, you know, most of the top players do rent, you know, a house close by. And and it's a very different feel to, I think, staying in a big, you know, conglomerate hotel and getting, you know, a long drive into the site every day. So yeah, we definitely will not be the same Wimbledon um, for, for everyone, pretty much. But um, let's take a look at tomorrow's order of play, Joel, as we go into the third round. I think Rafa's just stepped onto court um, with Gasquet. So let's have a look at day six at the French Open. Who is your, like, what's your top match for tomorrow? I think for me, it's got to be Serena against Danielle Collins, the aggro that I'm hoping to get from that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is going to be a very angry and shouty match, isn't it? Um, I'm definitely with you. It's quite conveniently placed after I finish work or, or it's not before 4pm. So I can sort of have it on in the background, I think. So um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to Serena Williams versus Danielle Collins. Azarenka, Madison Keys, I think could be quite a fun match to watch. Um, and I've also got an eye on Sissipas Isner, uh, mainly because though that is a night match. And as you said, I feel... With Isner being a very hot, um, being a very hard nut to crack, and Sissipas, I still feel a little bit suspect in the the big moments in the the business ends of of sets. I feel like that could be quite a quite a long one and could go quite deep into the night. Are you predicting a potential upset there? Well, is that what it sounds you know, like? I, I, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I, you know, I think Sissipas has done well so far. I don't think he, uh, yes, his opponents haven't been, um, that tricky, uh, but I don't think he's like undercooked going into facing someone like John Isner. Um, but I definitely think he's going to get a stern examination, particularly with his return, um, against, get against someone who, you know, is a very, 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 very solid player and, and, you know, keeps, you know, does the basics very, very well. So, you know, I think that will be quite a tough test for Sissipas. I'm not seeing that as a straightforward three-set victory. I think that could easily be four quite tight sets or or even potentially five. Yeah, and although we've had Garin against uh, Mackenzie McDonald, we haven't really had a, like a, you know, a, 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 on a show court, a massive humdinger of a match, like mm. grip your teeth, you know, uh, bums on seats kind of like moment. So it would be nice at some point to have one of those i'm sure we will i'm sure it'll happen for the for the zero people in the crowd yeah, yeah. The bums <laughs> for the bums people on at sofas. home bums bums on on sofas. Sofas. <laughs> um i'm quite looking forward to casper rude against davidovich fakina as well um davidovich fakina obviously came through the battle with botic van der Zandschel, which i think did go to five uh but um yeah so that'd be quite a good one as well 
I mean, Opelka, Opelka Medvedev as well. I mean, that's, that could be that an upset. Could be quite yeah. very easily could be an upset. Um, it was interesting. I was reading about Opelka and the fact that um, everyone, me probably included, see him probably unfairly as a sort of John Isner kind of 2.0. But, uh, you know, some people you know, have been telling me that, you know, look at his set score lines. Not as many of them go to tie breaks as John Isner. So, you know, it's it's looking at things like that. It's saying there is more to his game there, um, particularly in terms of his, you know, his ground strokes. And again, that could that could be a problem for, for Daniel Medvedev. You know, it's not just a big serve. He has got other weapons in his locker. So again, that could be quite a tricky one. I think, you know, although kind of Medvedev, Sissipas, uh, you know, Zverev have had sort of easy, easy routes kind of so far, um, yes, there have been sort of little blips on the way. I certainly think with with Sispas and Medvedev tomorrow, they've definitely got their first two kind of stern exam- examinations in uh, Isner and Apelka. Yeah, I remember seeing Apelka when I think he it was the year that he won the Wimbledon Junior doubles or he was in the final playing with Taylor Fritz. Uh, and Fritz actually today, he um, he lost, but it had to be wheeled off court in a, in a wheelchair. Very reminiscent of Kiki Burton's last year and I think it's because he just his right knee went on the like the last point of the match so um yeah real shame for Fritz like not not the way you want to bow out the tournament um but I think that brings us pretty much to a close for our round two catch-up um we'll be back I think Sunday morning for our round three catch-up uh so we hope everyone can join us then this concludes our round two catch up with the passing shot i hope you have enjoyed listening to it remember to subscribe to the passing shot to make sure you stay up to date on the french open we are on all the major podcasting platforms out there including apple Podcasts, spotify as well as on the downloadtennis.com app and if you have been enjoying listening to us on apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a rating and comment and you can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. So if you don't already, do give us a like and a follow and you can get in touch with us on those platforms. Uh, but you can also reach us via email, PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And we will be back on Sunday morning, UK time to look back on all of the round three action in our round three round by round catch up. So I hope you can join us for that and we will see you again soon. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,